Good morning and greetings this morning to each of you in Jesus' name. This morning, I felt led to speak on a subject that I've spoke on before, and actually, this message is in large part a message that I preached here before. But it was announced, or prayer request was, was given this morning regarding our upcoming ordination work in our district. And I'd like for us to think about this morning the subject of leadership within the church and choosing leadership within the church. I have a burden that this is something that we all take as an important part of the work of the church. It's not something that's out there for other people. I'm not saying that all of us should be expecting to be called to that work of leadership, but it is a work that affects us all, and it affects the church in many ways. And I think sometimes, maybe speaking for myself, that we take the work of, the, of choosing leaders for the church and the role of leadership in the church too lightly. So we have two upcoming ordinations planned for this summer. And I was shocked to look at the calendar yesterday and realize that the nomination service that we have planned for to, to, to nominate, to choose for two deacons, is in two weeks from today. Davy's eyes peeled wide open. The summer's moving fast for him, too. You know, we, we look at it as something that's out there. And are we giving it thought and prayer and consideration? Because it's rapidly approaching. And then approximately a month after that, we're going to be choosing a new bishop. So I'd like us to consider a couple of things. The reason that God's called leaders to lead his people, the purpose of those leaders, and, and what our responsibility is as a church, as, as individuals within the church. I'd like us to think about the concept of leadership and where it comes from. Leadership is a God-ordained concept and principle. It's not something that man has come up with. Now, I do believe that it is somewhat inherent in our nature to seek out leadership. Put a group of people together, likely someone is going to evolve, uh, uh, emerge as a natural leader within that group. But God has, from creation, has called out men to be leaders of his people. I don't know how it was before the fall of, of Adam and Eve into sin, but after the fall, God told Eve that your desire is going to be for your husband and he will rule over you. And I believe that was indicating a position of, of leadership uh, 
you know, we talk about the headship of, of God and Christ and man and woman and children. And I believe that God was at that point instituting that order of leadership that was his will for mankind after the fall. But we have a lot of examples clear back into in the early Old Testament times. We have men like Noah. Noah was a extremely good leader. He stood in the midst of a wicked and perverse time and stood for God and for, for, for the things of God and kept his family with him. That's leadership. We have Abraham. We talked about him last Sunday for about the handful of you that were here. Uh, we have Isaac after Abraham, Jacob. These were men who were leaders in their families. And then after the time of the patriarchs, after the time of the Israelites being in Egypt, God called Moses to be a leader of his people. Moses led the people for 40 years and passed off the scene. And then God called Joshua, another powerful leader. You know, Joshua, in a lot of ways, lives in Moses' shadow. But Joshua was a true leader after God's heart. Led God's people in right ways. He's the one who said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I think that defines Joshua's goal as a leader. And after the time of Joshua, we read about how God brought many different judges to and prophets that were leaders of the people, often for a short time. And then it was the kings. And I want you to think about that period of history in the Old Testament in regards to leadership. There is one thing that stands out clearly as we look at the Old Testament scriptures and the history of God's people is that when there was good, solid, godly leadership, God's people flourished. When there was a lack of good, solid, godly leadership, the people suffered many hardships and they missed God's blessings. So we can look at the at history and we can see the blessing of good godly leadership to lead God's people. And then in the New Testament era, we see Jesus coming and beginning his ministry and calling the 12 disciples to be his inner, his, well, there was, there was three that were his inner circle, but his, his inner group of 12 closest men that he taught and was with in a more intimate way than the other, than the other people in the crowds that followed him. And I believe that that was the beginning of Jesus calling men that were going to be leaders in the early church. And we see then in the book of Acts that as the church emerged there at the day of Pentecost and even before, that these men whom he had trained 
stepped into that role of leadership in the early church. And then we can look in the New Testament further and see where as the church grew and the needs increased, those leaders chose more leaders and the cycle continued as the needs increased and as the gospel expanded. No, the message isn't about the history of leadership, but I just want us to understand that there's many, many examples in, in the scriptures of good godly leadership and that being a blessing to God's people. Like I said, as we read the history of God's people, there's been some very dark times Times when looking at the children of Israel where they fell into idolatry, worshiping idols and, and, and immorality and all kinds of things. And it was because they lacked good, godly leadership or they lacked submission to it. Invariably, those times were brought on by one of two things. It was either a lack of godly leadership or a lack of submission to the godly leadership that God had provided for them. And we see that at times through some of the prophets that were sent that spoke God's word boldly and the people refused to obey and submit and continued in, in, their, in their sins. And brothers and sisters, if we are concerned today for our own spiritual well-being, and if we're concerned for the spiritual well-being of our families, of our children, of our grandchildren, and the good of the church, and the mission of the church to spread the gospel message, we're going to be concerned about leadership in the church. We're going to be concerned about our response to godly leaders and our willingness to cheerfully and willingly submit to their leadership. I know of no time in history, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I know of no time in history where God's people were blessed because of a lack of godly leadership or a lack of willingness to submit to clear godly leadership. And when we see that pattern in history, we have a choice. We can either submit to God's, the God-given pattern of leadership that he has set up and experience his blessing, or we can resist it and we'll experience the consequences. I invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be looking at a lot of different verses this morning. You, I'm going to invite you to turn to most of them. Uh, bear with me. It's more than what I usually read in a message. Ephesians 4, I'd like to read verse 7 and then drop down and read 11 through 16. 
But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Verse 11, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body into the edifying of itself in love. First, we see in these verses here in verse 7, that Christ is the source and the strength for leadership. Verse 7, it says that we have been given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And if you were at conference the other evening, Richard Hur gave us a definition of what grace is. Grace is not some magical thing that covers our sins, but it is the enabling power of Jesus Christ for us to do what he asks us to do. So we've been given grace. We've been given the, the, the ability, the strength to do what we're called to do according to the measure of the gift of Christ. When God calls, he supplies the grace for the task. And I believe that Christ wants us all to be working to support and to advance his kingdom in this world. We also see in verse 11 that while Christ calls, we're not all called to the same responsibility. There are listed here five different roles within the church, and we're not going to look at those different roles but I want us to consider the fact that there are different gifts, there's different responsibilities, there's different jobs within the church. And one person doesn't do them all. We have different talents and abilities. And that's one reason that we have a plural ministry. Some of us excel at different things. But we all work together to fulfill the Lord's purpose for his church. And that brings us to the third point in these verses, and that is the goal of these places of responsibility and leadership within the church. It is for the perfecting and building up of the church to, and to bring unity within the church. was pondering this thing a little bit as I was looking over my notes this morning of unity. We hear a lot about unity. But these verses are about becoming mature and being Christ-like. 
And that is what brings unity. If we're seeking a unity that, which is apart from coming under the submission of Christ and living for him, we are focusing on the wrong unity. We need to be focusing on Christ, and that will bring us to unity. We don't focus on unity to bring us to Christ. These things here are for, it says, for the goal of making us to become like the full measure, to be the, the, the full measure of being Christ-like. It's the idea of maturity, that we would be spiritually mature in Christ. And he speaks in verse 14 then that then we will no longer be infants tossed to and fro. You know, we won't be we won't be like children that don't have the understanding and the knowledge. We're going to be mature so that when we face the pressures of this world, false doctrines, we aren't going to be swayed. That verse, that, uh, that song that we sang, Will Your Anchor Hold? That's what it's talking about. It's talking about develop, developing a... a Sure, foundation, an anchor that will hold so that we aren't blown back and forth by every wind of doctrine. It talks about the slight of men and cunning craftiness. It's talking about people whose intent is to, de to deceive and to draw us away from the full gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what leadership in the church is designed for, is to help to build us up and get us to that point. That point of maturity and stability. And maturity and stability for us as individuals then lends to the maturity and stability of the congregation itself. And then as the congregation grows and new members come in, there's a continual need for leadership as the church expands. And you know, it's only going to be when Christ returns for his church that the need for earthly human leadership is going to end. Until that time, there will need to be earthly human leaders leading and directing in the life of the church. I'd like to look at some scriptural examples this morning then of, of choosing leaders in the, for the church. I already spoke of Jesus and the 12 disciples. I believe that that was Jesus setting a pattern, an example. Jesus didn't 12, choose those 12 men because he wanted 12 buddies to run around with. Jesus chose those 12 men because he wanted to train them so that when he was no longer on this earth, that he had men that would carry on the work that he had planned for them, would carry the gospel message to others. And they stepped into that role in the early church there in the book of Acts. I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. 
Acts 1, verse 21 through 26. This was after Judas Iscariot had taken his life. This is, uh, I believe it was is Peter speaking. Yes, it was Peter in verse 15. It says that. He says in verse 21, Wherefore of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto the, that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection? And they appointed two, Joseph, called Barsabas, whose surname was Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So they saw a need here for replacing their one brother who had fallen aside, turned back, and ended up taking his life. It's the first instance after Jesus had left this earth of leadership being chosen. Turn next to Acts chapter 6. Verses 1 through 6. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among, among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. So we see here that early church was growing, it was expanding, and there was a need that arose. They had widows who were being neglected. And the apostles said, it's not, shouldn't be our responsibility. It'll make us neglect the, neglect the prayer and the ministry. And so they chose seven men to aid in that work. And I thought it was interesting. They gave a list of qualifications. They didn't want anybody. They wanted men who met certain criteria. Honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. They wanted men who were godly and had the wisdom needed for the work at hand. Now I want to look then at verse 7. Verse 7 has been a blessing to me many times. And the word of God increased, 
and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. We don't ordain leaders to maintain the status quo. We ordain leaders in an effort to expand and grow God's kingdom. That is what they did here. There was a need, the church was growing, and when they did, when they ordained these men, it's clear because of the inspired word of God, it put, <clears throat> God wanted us to have verse seven here. Because of what they did, the word of God increased. The number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Think about that. The priests would have been some of the ones that were the most opposed to Jesus Christ and his message. But because of the work of the church and the choosing of godly leadership, it says that many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Several other scriptures relating to the appointing or ordaining of leaders, Acts 14. Verse 23, and when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed and fasted, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Here's an example of Paul and Barnabas setting in place leadership over one of the churches that they had helped to establish. 2 Timothy 2.2. This is Paul's instruction to Timothy. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. This isn't specifically a, a choosing of a leadership, but it's talking about passing on that responsibility of teaching and instructing others. Also, I'd like to look at Titus 1 verse 5. For this cause I left thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. So Paul was instructing Titus that part of his work was to ordain elders, ordain leadership for the individual churches. I'd also like us to consider whose responsibility it is to choose leaders within the church. Acts 13.2, I believe, tells us that first of all, it is God's work. Acts 13.2 says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. God, through the Holy Spirit, called 
Paul and Barnabas to a specific work. And I believe that that is something important for us to recognize. But we also see that the church played a role. They were involved through, it says, as they ministered to the Lord, I, I believe that that is, uh, the, the New International Version says that they were worshiping the Lord. I believe it was a time of, of coming together, seeking the Lord, and seeking his direction. So the church played an important role there. Paul and Barnabas didn't take this responsibility on themselves. I don't believe that it was something they were necessarily seeking out. The church was together seeking God's direction. And God said, through the Spirit, set me apart, Paul and Barnabas. So it's God's work, but the church has a part. And Paul and Barnabas had a part to play as well. They were submissive to the call. They didn't say, well, you know, not sure about that. They did it. We've been blessed. We have recorded what they did for the early church. It's a challenge for us today. We also see, I already mentioned this, back in, in Acts 6, the calling of those first deacons, that the church recognized the need and made the decision that we need to seek godly leadership. So it's the church plays a part, and God, through his spirit, leads and directs. And I believe that we see in this that there's a great responsibility on the members of the church to be aware of the needs and to be involved in the process of seeking leadership, godly leadership for his church. We should all be involved in praying and seeking God and fasting over this. We each have a personal responsibility in this upcoming work. We each should be personally involved. I'd like to think a little bit on qualifications. Paul gives a list of qualifications in 1 Timothy as well as in Titus, and we don't really have time to look at that. I was going to read uh, 1 Timothy 3, chapter 2, and for sake of time, I'm, I'm not going to read it. But we have there a list of qualifications. Sit down and read it sometime. We have a tendency to, to look at this list and to read over it and feel like that, wow, it would just be difficult to find anybody who would meet these qualifications. These are, this is a high standard. But I tell you, those of us that have been ordained, even for some time, I myself feel it, and I've heard others testify to it, that I read that list and I'm challenged. I'm challenged of, of areas of lack within my life. And so I have to believe that these qualifications are not there because we're looking for that individual who has attained to this perfect pinnacle of of that they're, they're this perfect person, but rather that there should be 
clear evidence in a candidate that they are striving diligently to make these qualities real within their own life. I'm going to mention this again later, but I want all, uh, and I'll say that again, I want all of you men, young men as well, who are here today, I want you to to stop and consider these qualifications for leadership. Only a small percentage of you men who sit under my voice this morning are going to be called to position of leadership within the church. But all of you are still leaders in some way. And these qualifications qualifications for leadership should be something that every one of you as men should be striving to attain to in your life. If you're not striving to attain to those levels of, of to those qualities, I dare say you're falling short in your walk with the Lord. Another qualification this is one verse, I'm going to turn to it. It's not a New Testament qualification. It comes from the Old Testament. And I believe that it is a qualification from God for all men who would be leaders according to his will. Ezekiel 22.30 Ezekiel, And I sought for a man among them that would make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Ezekiel, here in chapter 22, uh, or I should say God, through, through Ezekiel, was confronting the inhabitants of Jerusalem for their sins. And the pending judgment that God was going to bring upon them. And God is saying here that he was looking for a man who would make up the hedge or make up the gap in the wall and stand in that gap. One who would repair what had been torn down. Why? That I would not destroy it. God didn't want to bring judgment upon his people. He didn't want judgment. He wanted repentance. And he was looking for a, a man who would stand in the gap and would rebuild what had been torn down. And the sad words were, but I found none. Today, God is still looking for men who are willing to stand in the gap and rebuild the walls in order to defend and promote his kingdom and his doctrines in the church of Jesus Christ. As we're looking for candidates for leadership in the church, we should be looking for men who are willing to take a stand against the current trends that threaten the church. Things that are making inroads among our people. Things that are coming between a close relationship and a close walk with the Lord and our people. He should be a man who's supportive of our church and the church's biblical standards. Someone who appreciates it and is willing to promote our our standards, our church, our conference, not someone who's testing limits or struggling with submission. 
We need men who will willingly and vigorously defend God's truth in this wicked world that we live in. Now I'd like to consider the responsibility of the church. As I said, we all have a part to play. This isn't a decision of the church leaders. The leaders don't get together and say, here's a good, a good candidate, let's, let's ordain him. But we're all called to seek God's direction and leading. As I said earlier, we should all be making this a matter of prayer, seeking the Lord's direction in the process. We should be praying that God would work in the hearts of those that he would call. I know before I was ordained, God worked in my heart. Pray for that. I tell you, when you receive that call, if God's been working in your heart, you're much better prepared to say yes. We should be praying for our bishop brethren who will be working with through the process, working with the nominees. We should, we should have a burden that, that the good of the church and the furtherance of God's kingdom is, is, is the result of this ordination work. Yes, we want the call to be from God, but yet God uses members within the church in the process of calling. And in the past, unfortunately, some of there's been times when our, our uh, participation in the nomination process has been a little weak. And it would just be encouraging if we had more active participation in the process. Sometimes people feel like that they need to know someone really well before they would nominate them. And I say that yes, but you don't have to know somebody terribly intimately. You just need to know their, their qualification, their, the, the, what type of a life they live, what their talents are. And just because we nominate someone doesn't mean that they're going to be a final candidate for that office. We require <clears throat> three nominations for a candidate if they're going to be a minister or deacon. Five if they're going to be a bishop. So it's not just your decision. If you nominate someone, the Lord has had to have laid that person's name that person on the heart of two other people and for a bishop four other people God works through his people if God's speaking to you about nominating someone don't hold back from being a part of that process also a candidate has the opportunity to say no they don't feel called they don't feel like that they can submit themselves to the work at that time and also, it's open to the review of the Brotherhood once you have a pool of candidates that are willing to go forward with the work. We do our best to screen for issues that 
maybe not everybody knows about. So don't hold back. There's a process in place, and God will work as we involve ourselves. Another important thing that I want to bring out before we close is that once the ordination is over, the work of the church has not ceased. It is, it, the work of the, of, the, of the church is not over. We still have responsibilities to those that we ordain. First of all, we're called to support them through obedience. Matt, uh, Hebrews 13, 17, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they mu that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable to you. We're called to follow their leadership. This is something that's been rolling through my mind recently. Have you ever considered how much more effective the church would be? You know, the, the, the greater work of the church, have you ever considered how much more effective it would be if every member was fully submitted and obedient to their leaders? This is, all illustrations fall down at some point. But as an illustration of that, I had to think about a shepherd leading a flock of sheep. And imagine a shepherd going out and leading his sheep to pasture, and every one of those sheep is following the shepherd. He, they're going to get to where he wants to take him. He, they're going to get to the good pasture. But if there's a handful of sheep that continually break away from the flock and insist in going this way and this way, the progress of the entire flock is going to be hampered as the, as the shepherd, the leader of those sheep, has to go back and round up those strays and bring them back into the group and go a little ways and repeat that process again. That's an imperfect illustration, but I believe that it illustrates the effect of those who are constantly wanting to push limits and not submit or not fully submit to what the leadership has asked. And that was a new thought to me, that when I struggle with obedience, when I struggle with submission, I am hindering in some small way the work that Jesus Christ has for his church. That was a challenge to me. We also need to support our leaders through prayer. 2 Thessalonians 3.1 Paul says, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. And I know that every church leader has a desire for and appreciates the prayers of the people that he ministers to. Prayer, as he said here, that the word of God would have free course. Prayer for wisdom and direction. We need it. We're also responsible to provide material support as well as men are called to, to dedicate their own time and resources for the church. 
1 Corinthians 9, 13, and 14, Do you not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple, and they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar? Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. We owe our leaders a material support in some way in compensation for their work. And I'm not here to preach about that and say how much that needs to be. That's a different discussion. But we have a responsibility. So in conclusion, today in our society, our conservative churches are very unique in the way that we call men to leadership directly from the laity. But it is a biblical pattern that has its roots clear back in the early New Testament church. And I believe that it is a pattern that has served the church and served our conservative church as well. And one reason that I believe that it has served us well is that I believe that these times are and should be times when all of us as men reflect on these qualifications for leadership. I believe that this should be a sobering time for all of us men, even if, even if you're somebody that doesn't have the talents and the abilities that you know you'll never be called to one of these positions. I believe it's a time that we should soberly look at the responsibilities of leadership and the requirements that God has for his, for his men to be leaders. We should all be striving to, to, to live in a way that we could be called to a position of leadership. It should be a time of soul searching for us all, as well as diligently seeking God's will and direction. We need to realize that we all have an important role to play in the church, especially right now at this time. It's a blessing for the church to have a large group of men from whom we can look and say we have a lot of good men who are solid, dedicated men that we have a large pool of men that we can choose from. You know, I've seen situations where there was the need for an ordination and there was either very few or none qualified or willing to serve. And I'm afraid sometimes, I'm not painting with too, too broad of a brush here, but I'm afraid sometimes if that happens, if we go to have an ordination and, and we struggle to find men who are qualified and men who are willing to submit themselves to the work, I'm afraid we have men who are being like the unprofitable servant in Jesus' parable of the talents, men who are hiding their talent in the ground and not developing their talents and investing them in God's kingdom. So I would like to challenge every one of us in the next weeks to make this ordination work a priority in your prayers that you would be an active participant 
even if it's only through prayer, in seeking God's direction, and be willing to nominate men as God lays people on your heart, and then to wholeheartedly support those that are called through your encouragement, through your obedience, through your financial support. May God bless you. We have a song.